Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I am Gian Lemmy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chad Simpson. Now, Chad, hey, Gian. Chad um, this episode is very special for both of us. Um, that's why I'm, we're releasing it on my birthday today, December 11th. Happy birthday, G-Man. Thank you. Um, and Coach Johnson was both of our coaches at Liberty yeah. University. What was your favorite memory of him? I don't know if I'd call this my favorite, but uh, one of the first ones that comes to my mind was um, we were traveling at, at UNC Chapel Hill for our first uh, event there for the regional. And we're at a, an Asian restaurant and I had never had wasabi. And Coach Johnson just pointed something on the plate, said, hey, get about uh, an inch um, full of, of this on your on the tip of your finger and, and put it on your tongue and I tasted it and uh, uh, definitely stayed in my mind that uh, don't ever do that again but I'm 100% <laughs> thankful for as I've entered the, the coaching profession he, he really helped me with questions to be thinking about um, before I interviewed for my first coaching job in those first few weeks sitting in the, in the chair what do I do now as a college coach but he's really instrumental in that but uh, thankful for this and, and love this interview yeah, um, for me, Coach Johnson brought me out of Brazil with very little knowledge about me and my game, and I'm so thankful that he gave me that opportunity. And even after the four years, he continues to reach out and 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 give me some tips on becoming a better coach. And you'll you'll listen on this episode that he he went through a big development in his coaching philosophy as well. And um, Coach, we just can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Coach Chris Johnson of. University of Lynchburg Tennis. Coach Johnson, thank you so much for being in the podcast. We like to start with a power question of what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? That's a good question, Gian. Um, <clears throat> you know, I played for Liberty and when I started coaching, I was coaching at Liberty. And so uh, I've answered a million interview questions in my days, um, but it was always kind of assumed that I was a Christian coach. And uh, that's, you know, uh, when you coach at LU, uh, that's kind of the way it is. And so um, when I moved to Lynchburg, um, that's not assumed. And so uh, even though uh, at LU, I think our last five years, we won the, the sportsmanship award, which meant a great deal to me. Um, they don't do that uh, here in our new conference. So, um, you know, we, certainly we have FCA things and so forth. But um, to get back down to it, um, to me with your teams, it's all about the players. And, you know, so how they perceive you is, is a big deal. And, of course, we have some certain rules on the team. But uh, being a Christian coach is certainly nothing about a title. Um, and it's all about each day they're watching you so close and how do you make decisions? Are you consistent with your decisions? Are you fair with your decisions? You know, do you discriminate with your decisions? And, and ultimately, um, you know, in a, in an environment that's not necessarily Christian, um, you know, it comes down to integrity and honesty. And uh, so take, you know, certainly great pride with being so, you know, Christian coach, but um, I would be more proud if, if one of my players said, yeah, he's a Christian coach, uh, you know, just that it's uh, transcending to them. Yeah. Good answer. You mentioned in your answer that you coached at Liberty and now you're coaching at University of Lynchburg. 
take us back as far back as you want and tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up now at University of Lynchburg. Well, uh, again, I played for LU from 90 to 94. And, uh, and then in 06, believe it or not, I was always a baseball fan growing up and I switched to tennis late. And so um, uh, my heart was always in baseball. My daughter actually is a, is a uh, travel ball softball player. And so I get to kind of uh, live through her a little bit uh, now. But, um, but anyway, they found me working in baseball and minor league baseball when there was transitioning between coaches at LU. And, and so a friend of mine who I went to school with at LU was in the administration and came in and spoke with me about it. And uh, we had just gotten married, my wife and I, and we loved baseball and we kind of loved having the off seasons off and these kind of things. And so it was a little bit different. And, um, and LU back in 2006 was just a different thing than what it is now. And so uh, I was a young guy, just got married, you know, was looking at my career and, um, you know, believe it or not, looking at being a division one coach was not necessarily what I saw as being a jump in career move. And uh, so we just kind of hemmed and hawed about it. And then we started praying about it. And as soon as we started praying about it, uh, I just, I just couldn't get it out of my heart. And so we went and interviewed and, you know, I kind of told my wife that if, if we're going to go and interview, I'm not going to interview for it if I'm not going after it. Um, and uh, certainly I'm a competitive guy and having played for LU, I uh, would have really loved to have seen the program uh, go to some new heights. You know, we, we were still playing on the same old tennis courts that were there when they started back in the eighties. And uh, when I came there and so there was just a lot of room for growth <clears throat> and, you know, everybody has their own passion, but, you know, one of mine is kind of seeing things build and being a part of that building process. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a top 10 team, um, but you take a lot of satisfaction in the fact that uh, you're not where you used to be and you've built it up and, and you kind of were a part of, of helping to do that. And, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you, you took a gap there between playing um, college tennis and then coaching tennis. And I know from, um, being next to you for several years that you worked in corporate America. Um, what are some of the lessons that you did learn in corporate America that helped you become a head coach? Well, I think one of the most important, Gian, was right after school, I was the manager of the Play It Against Sports in Lynchburg. Uh, that was my first job out. And then uh, the, the year after that, I went in with another person and we bought a territory and built a store down in North Carolina and I, I learned a lot of lessons as kind of an owner operator of that store. And one of them <laughs> was that uh, I loved to play golf back then. And I used to go and play golf three or four times a week. And it ended up being a problem. And I had a lot of the guys kind of leaving and not being happy. And, and uh, in my 20s, I just didn't know a lot about uh, leadership. <clears throat> and um, so when I changed and started working for this new company that was literally a worldwide company, there was lots and lots of trainings and, and everything they did was about leadership. And so I just learned a lot about how to take my competitiveness and the passion that I had to kind of compete and do things at a higher level and, uh, and also learn how to lead at a higher level. And so that certainly transcended when I, when I got into coaching. What were some of the things you're weighing in when you decided to leave that lifestyle and become a, uh, a coach? 
Well, that was, you know, 35 weeks a year or, uh, uh, yeah, 35 weeks a year on the road. And I was single at the time and, and the money was good. But uh, at some point as a, as a Christian single person, you know, who's 30 years old, you kind of look up and say, you know, I could do this for a long time and I could probably do well at it, but um, probably not going to, you know, find a, a Christian wife and have a Christian family um, being on the road for 35 weeks out of the year. And so that's when I decided just to take a step back and, and uh, that's when the baseball opening came. And even though the money wasn't the same, uh, I felt like it was going to kind of be a more secure situation. And certainly uh, God has a plan with that. <laughs> and two months later, I met my wife and, and uh, certainly God did have a plan with that. So it's a, you know, certainly a testimony of uh, kind of walking through the doors that, that God opens instead of, you know, shutting them or kicking them open. Yeah. Um, everywhere you've been, you found success um, at working before coming to Liberty at Liberty, you built two programs, not just the men's program, but also the women's program. Um, and now at University of Lynchburg, you're growing both programs very fast. I see the news, I follow you and um, you're doing a lot of firsts in that program. And how would you define success right now in your career? Um, seeing that I have teenage kids now, um, I think if, you know, if, if, are you asking like success overall or success in building a program? Both. If you want to answer both. Um, overall, I would say that you need to, you know, find a situation that you can be successful on the court and be successful at home. And, you know, being a coach at LU had turned back into this 30 weeks on the road and, uh, and trying to deal with, you know, my children, uh, you know, from six States away or on the West coast to the East coast or from somewhere in Guatemala back home or Spain or wherever I happen to be, um, was hard when they were four, five, and six years old. Now that they're 12, 13 years old, some of them, uh, it, it just would have been impossible. And so uh, if you ask me how would I define success, I would say that uh, my wife is excited about what I do at Lynchburg. And my kids are excited that I'm at home a lot more. And I'm excited that I haven't been on a plane in almost four years. <laughs> Um, that's a, what a blessing that is, especially during this crazy time and, and so forth. So, uh, but more specifically to your point of being successful on the court, um, that has to do with environment. Um, you know, these kids are competitive. Uh, at the end of the day, I've got the same kids that you do, um, as far as who they are, they have a different talent, um, a different skill set but relatively the same type of kids and they will improve and they will work hard and they will give you everything that you, that they've got. Um, so your job isn't necessarily to make them the best forehand ever, the best serve ever, you know, 99 and one on the court. Your job is to provide an environment and a culture where they feel like they can grow. Um, and if you do that, 
uh, some will grow faster than others, and, uh, and that's okay. But, um, you know, life changes in those four years for these kids. And, you know, if, if it's nothing but uh, coaching results, if that's all that someone does as a coach is just coach results and they're, they're on your good list that week if they're winning and they're on your bad list that week if they're losing, uh, that's a really toxic environment. Um, you know, it needs to be attitude and effort. If they're given a great attitude and have a great effort, um, then, man, they're on your A-list all the time. And that never changes unless they just go out and give a bad effort. And, you know, if you find a kid that, that uh, has given 10 straight weeks of a great effort and all of a sudden has a bad effort, um, even that, that week, that's probably the week that you could be the most successful with that particular player because something's going on. And uh, instead of coming down on them, I would more drill down into, into what's going on. And uh, usually the other players, Players will know what that is. The assistant coach will know what that is. So you don't have to, you know, pry too far, lift up too many, uh, too many layers of the onion there to kind of figure out what's going on. So anyway, uh, long answer to a short question, but um, you know, if you want to find success, getting a culture that uh, that breeds progress and breeds hard work and breeds good attitude, um, that's what I, uh, you know. That's what I work for. Yeah, I appreciate the detailed answer. Um, working for you and with you for uh, all those years, I, I, I came to appreciate how detail-oriented you were and that helped everyone stay on task and get things accomplished. Um, my next question is, we like, we, we like to ask head coaches, what do you look for in an assistant coach? Um, we have a lot of assistant coaches here listening that want to know what, a, what should be the skills or core values that they need to have in order to be more hireable. Um, what, what do you personally look for in your assistant coaches? That's a great question. Um, first and foremost, uh, honesty and integrity. Those are the two big ones. Um, if I see someone that's constantly cutting corners to try, try to make things happen, that has no problem with kind of fudging the rules uh, to try to get things forward, um, that re is really going to kind of work away from the uh, environment that we're trying to create. Um, and then the second thing, and this doesn't, this, this has to do with assistant coaches. It also has to do with the trainers that are involved with your team, the strength trainers that are involved with your team, uh, whoever else from the outside in that is kind of involved with your team, the, the, the academics uh, that works with your team, the academic people, um, is I love to see the ones that put the kids first, uh, that they, they really, the kids charge their batteries, you know, they, they, they consider a successful day when, when, you know, someone academics is just on fire when one of my kids, you know, gets an A on a test. And, uh, you know, the ones that are in it just as a stepping stone to try to get their own thing or whatever, uh, that's going to be so transparent to the players. And, you know, that's going to be bad. And then the third thing is buy-in, loyalty. You know, every coach that comes through has their own way of doing things. And that's never going to change. But coming in and being open to what the head coach coaches and then not working against that kind of when you're not around. Uh, if, if that's going on and you're kind of pulling it in in two different ways, the players know what the worst, right? You're out there coaching and you sit down beside them and it's three all and, and, you know, we're in the fight and then you look over there and, you know, someone else is sitting down beside them and we just lost six, three and, and they're all flustered and, and we're just not doing the same thing when we go to the court. So probably those three things would be the biggest things. Yeah. Those are good, good, good tips for everybody. Um, 
when I got to play for you, one thing that always stood out to me were <clears throat> was the the fact that you always had so, so much biblical knowledge available and whatever we were needing at that moment, you had a little story they would share with us and that it was impactful. Um, what do you do on a daily basis or weekly basis to stay close to God and fill yourself up so that you can pour into others? Oh, that's a great question. Um, learning and getting closer, closer to the Lord is such a lifelong journey. Uh, <laughs> And uh, currently, I'm in a book, uh, Transforming Grace, by Jeff Bridges. I would encourage anyone uh, to read it, especially if they're driven competitively like we are. Uh, it has to do with um, the fact that God's grace is for free, and we don't have to work to get it, because in our world, we have to work to get everything, right? And uh, the fact that God's grace is not performance-driven, you know, if we kind of mess up in the morning, uh, you know, we think, oh, we're not going to get God's blessing today. And, and, and God's grace just doesn't work like that. And so, uh, in my opinion, leaders um, have to be constantly learning, <clears throat> constantly, <clears throat> excuse me, constantly reading. Um, but certainly you got to get in God's word. Um, he's got to transform you from the inside out. And if you want to be able to teach uh, anything, if you want to have new stories of what God's doing in your life, if somebody is, again, if that, if that player that I mentioned before who has had 10 straight good weeks is having a bad week and you haven't been in God's word in eight weeks, I don't know that you have so much for him. You might give him some earthly advice and that maybe that helps a little bit, but when they're coming to you in that week and that day, um, you know, I've had anything from boyfriend issues to um, abuse issues to uh, parents getting diagnosed with illnesses. And uh, I have learned, I have messed that up too. I have learned to dive into that. And that if you've been close with the Lord, if you're reading, if you're learning, Probably some of the things that you've been learning were for that meeting right there. God knew that was coming. He knew that player was coming in there. And if you're not prepared in advance for that meeting to share something with them that God's been sharing with you, um, then I think you have to go back to the beginning of our interview and say, what does being a Christian coach mean to you? You know, if it's just about wins and losses and putting trophies on the wall, um, I think you could do that anywhere. But if it's for that week with that player, in their 11th week after 10 good ones. Um, and you kind of have an iffy relationship. You kind of, maybe it's a freshman and you, they're kind of still scared of you and they don't know what to think of you. Um, and that 11th week they're struggling and they're homesick anyway. And they got a, a note that daddy got put in the hospital and they're having a tough week and you don't know why. And you have an opportunity that week. Uh, you may have an opportunity if somebody's not saved to share Christ with them definitely have an opportunity to have a closer relationship with that player. Um, and it's in those moments, I think that being a Christian coach is so special. Yeah. Um, I got to experience that firsthand and I appreciate, always appreciate your willingness to, to pour into our lives whenever we needed it. Um, you, you, you mentioned on your answer here that you've messed up before. Um, what is one thing that you've changed your mind on about coaching from the first year that you coached, to now? When I first started coaching, uh, and I brought this up before, 
uh, I was bad for, and this is a young coaching thing. I was bad for being all about results. And, you know, I did come from a corporate situation when um, it was all about results and (laughs) they didn't care how hard you worked. If you didn't get results, you didn't get results. And, um, and, and coaching players is not like that. They're all moving through the process. Some move through faster than others. Um, And uh, so I used to go out to a court and uh, you know, if this girl fought her rear end off and she lost six, four, six, four, she probably knew that I wasn't happy with her. And over time, I learned that that was deteriorating big time, uh, the relationship between a coach and a player. And uh, so now I've learned that, um, <clears throat> you know, if it's four all and she loses both those sets and she loses six, four, six, four, that is certainly something that we need to work in practice the next week. Um, but uh, if she gave it everything she had, she just didn't know how to close those sets. Uh, and she had a good attitude doing it and she never gave up and she left it all on the court. Nowadays, as a coach, I would celebrate that huge, um, that you gave everything you gave. I was in a conference championship situation a couple years ago with Lynchburg and, you know, it's a different level, but I had one of my girls, uh, her name was Sarah. I won't say the last name, but her name was Sarah. And we were at four all in the semifinals of the conference championship and, you know, it's, uh, it's four all in the third set and it's four all on the match. And at four all, she started throwing up in the back of the court and she wouldn't let the trainers come out and she fought through and she ended up, I don't know if it's six, four, seven, five, she ended up losing that match and we lost in the semifinals. And I mean, I must have told her how proud I was of her 50 times, you know, and, and, and that was, that's hard because we lost but every single one of the players went out there and gave it everything that they had. And as a coach, you can't ask for more than that. And as soon as you start asking for more than that, that's when it starts going backwards for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing it. My last question is about some book recommendations. When I got engaged while I was still a player at Liberty, you recommended me um, the four pillars of a man's heart and to prepare me for a, um, for marriage and, and leading a family, um, which, uh, Weber, that's a good one. Yeah. What, what other, what other books would you give as recommendations for maybe a younger coach who's just starting now, um, that would set him up to be a successful coach? Oh boy, gee. And that's probably the hardest one for me. I teach a, a Sunday school class now and, um, so the types of books that I'm involved in now are more geared towards that. I would have to go back and kind of look through my library on some. Um, I, I would certainly, if it was a younger coach situation, I would certainly look at some leadership type uh, books. Um, I wouldn't read too many of John Maxwell's, but one or two wouldn't be bad just to kind of get some uh, fundamentals of leadership. Um, and then uh, you know, I would, I would certainly, of course, as a Christian coach, you always would recommend Christian books that for, for a young single man, the four pillars of a man's heart is great just to learn how God made you. And what are the dangers? Uh, if you kind of get away from that, um, the transforming grace book that I'm in now is truly transforming, um, to kind of learn the freedoms that exist, uh, in serving God and serving him on a daily basis and not being performance driven and, and, uh, and those kind of things. But, 
Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you, something <laughs> that was right in my read list right now. I probably don't. Um, but I, I would say this too, that uh, books are great. And, and if, you're, if you're not reading, you're not growing. But if you're not in God's word, uh, the books are only going to help you a certain amount. Um, God's word is powerful. I'll never forget my mom asking me one time, said, Chris, you know, how are you? Uh, what are you reading right now? And I was in my 20s, you know, and I was just like, Mom, you know, I probably haven't read in a while. And she's like, well, you keep on telling me, you know, God wants this. And does God want that? And what is God's will in my life? And all these things. And so, you know, you say you're praying to him, but you're, you know, how is he talking back to you? You're asking all these questions and they're good questions, but what are you doing to get the answer back? And if you're not letting God's word talk back to you, um, then you're really missing the blessing of the relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, my last question is what can we be praying for you now at this moment? Yeah. I mean, COVID's had a tough time to do with our teams. And so, uh, you know, I think that certainly disrupts the flow of a coach. Um, and on the other side, it's been a blessing because I'm at home a lot with my children. And uh, so personally, I would appreciate prayer for uh, my wife and I, as we have one teenager now, uh, we have another one that's 12 getting ready to be a teenager. We have another one that's six who thinks she's 18. So um, we have a full house and we have a busier life than I ever thought was possible. Um, and so we certainly need prayer there. Um, and then, you know, we're certainly looking at the next five years and trying to figure out as our children go through the rest of, uh, high school, um, we want to invest in them, um, you know, and certainly invest in our ministry, invest in coaching, but we don't want them to, we don't want them ever to come to us at 30 years old and say, you know, we know that coaching was a priority for you and, and we weren't as much of a priority. I, I hope they would never say that. So, uh, just prayer with, uh, wisdom, with decisions over the next five years as we spend uh, with, you know, at least the two oldest ones. Yeah. All right. Let me close this out in prayer then. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for Coach Johnson taking the time to speak with us and share so much wisdom and so much good information. Lord, pray that you keep him grounded as a coach during these COVID times. We're trying and, and pushing us to, to the limit of patience and, and figuring out if we're going to have a season or not. Um, Lord, I'd like to lift up Audrey and Coach Johnson as they, as they raise two teenagers now and one coming up. Lord, that you, you give them patience and give them wisdom to continue to invest in their lives before they leave for college. And Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 I, uh, I love that interview. Coach Johnson is an is awesome, awesome guy. And uh, I appreciate just his humility to kind of admit, you know, from, from his first year until now, how he has grown and improved. And I really feel that's a, a true testament of, of a good coach and a Christian coach is that um, you're, you're always growing, always improving, always trying to get better. Yeah, I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned from Coach Johnson over the last 12 years that I've known him is the continuous growth that he's had as a person mainly but also as a coach and how that translates into better family life and better work life as well and coach um, just remember the mission field is right where you're at <laughs>